And I remember at that moment, I could be like, I could, you know, tuck my tail between my legs and walk out of here and, and, you know, go back to working at Best Buy and, and that's it. Hey, welcome to the big story. I'm Alex Morrissey. Thanks for joining. This week's been a real busy, busy week. Uh, my wife's been away in Portugal, having a wonderful time. And I've been, I've been tearing everything out of closets and trying to organize and clear things out. So I'm not making a mess while she's here. And I'm also writing fiendishly every morning. I talk about ADD on the show often with the guests and it's a real struggle to stay on track. And I have a lot of things I try to do every day in order to keep myself in order and, you know, meditation and journaling. And another thing that I do is employ the Pomodoro method. I think it's called that. It's a working for 25 minutes and then take a five minute break. And you do this just sequentially. So I have a timer set up where I get to my writing desk at nine o'clock, hit go. And then for the next three to four hours, it's head down, write, And then these five minute gaps, quickly check an email, reply to small tasks that I can cross off my list that I wrote down in my journal in the morning. And hopefully by the end of the session, have a, a lot more that I started off with, which is usually the case if I take the time to focus on the, what I need to do. So if I do my job correctly in the morning to say, Hey, this is the chunk that you need to get through. I'm pretty good at getting through that. If I use all these stupid tools to get my head in order. Um, another thing that I do is listen to music and, Oh, my guest today is Jeffrey Allen Love. It's a great talk. Really excited to share this one. But Jeff brings it up that he, you know, listens to music with no words uh, for purpose, you know, purpose. But my purpose is that it, they distract me when I'm trying to write words. So I can't really, I'll, I will end up writing lyrics if I end up at a keyboard listening to songs. So I don't know if anybody else has similar struggles or what they do, um, for me, it is a part-time job to do my full-time job. Anyway, as I said today, I'm talking to Jeffrey Allen love. And if you're not familiar with his work, lucky you, because you get a chance to experience what he does, which is make images that are transportational devices. And I'm just, thrilled to spend some time with somebody who thinks so deeply about the work they do and the intention of their craft. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jeffrey Allen Love as much as I did. You, you can't tell if you made the right choice with kids, you know, <laughs> like <it's, laughs> you made a choice, but you got you got you got, you're stuck with it. You know, it's no, I don't know. I think it was, uh, that era, or at least, you know, I'm 44. So my parents were, you know, from pretty young, uh, older era. Uh, I don't think people thought about that, you know, 
And then uh, my mom, I think, struggled with that when we were 16, 17, 18, you know, about to get leave the house, you know, like being like, oh, I've given up my life for these children and who am I? And, you know, had to figure that out for herself. Yeah. Yeah. I think my mom turned that more into <laughs> uh, guiding me, uh, which I did everything I could to go away from that. So, yeah. But that's just how it goes. Um, how's the work going? Good. I'm uh, finishing up a book with Flask. Um, I'm doing a bunch of covers for Dark Horse for, uh, uh, I don't know, like how they feel about, you know, spoiling or whatever, but I'm doing mm-hmm. covers new cyberpunk 2077 uh series there uh doing something for image um and for like the last three years i've been talking to like eight or ten different writers that you know um about doing a comic and i'm just sort of waiting to see which one actually you know writes the series and um, right when and pulls through and they're all people i want to work with and um you know they're people that i I'm willing to wait for it because I want to, I want to work with a, a writer I'd like and respect so that I can learn from them and their process and then, yeah, uh, and then steal all of their techniques to use for my <laughs> book next. Um, so kind of do like the one, one with them, one for me, one for them, one, for, one sure. with me. Um, and actually I was talking to, uh, Brian Evanson, who's a writer I, uh, I really like. Do you know Brian Evanson's work? I know the, I know his name. I don't know him. Yeah. yeah he, he's a, He's a speculative writer. Um, I've done a, like a, a cover for tour for him and, but he liked one of my books and took, uh, asked if he could use a, a line from it to, for a short story of his and, uh, dedicated the story to me. And so we've gotten to know each other and I'm trying to get, trying to get him to write, uh, a comic because I think it would be a lot of fun to, um, he's, he's become really well known for his short story collections in the last like, like five or six years. Um, he writes really amazing speculative novels too. Um, so there seems like there's a lot of stuff in the air. It's kind of like a good, and it's okay now because I've, I've been such a, you know, with the pandemic and being a dad that, um, I feel like I've had enough on my plate that actually it would probably would have been a nightmare to get like a comic book, uh, with somebody else in the last little bit. (laughs) You said we, how, like how many of there were you growing up? Uh, my brother, I have a, a younger brother. Um, okay. We, uh, he's, uh, we actually live near each other now. The first time we've ever lived, uh, near each other, uh, as adults. Um, my, you know, my family is, was military. And so we moved all the time and, and also separately at some points, um, my mom and dad had different, uh, stations. So, uh, I'm just used to, you know, never living anywhere longer than two or three years. Um, and, and never living around my family. Um, and it's only now in the last, I think I've been here a year and a half. Um, and now my brother lives, you know, 10 minutes, 10 minutes away and we can go out and get a beer and stuff like that. So it's been, uh, I mean, I've never had that. So it's been really cool. Oh, that is really cool. So where did, like, where, like, what bases did you grow up on? Uh, well, we actually, we almost always lived off base, which was really cool. Um, we lived in a, village called Vinweiler in Germany. Um mm-hmm. in Germany for six years when I was pretty little. Um and I loved it. It was awesome. You know, like uh growing up there, uh and having the imagination of a little, you know, like a little kid, like 
you didn't have to imagine very hard, you know, to like, cause there was a castle that we could walk to and my brother and I could walk there and play yeah. like, in the woods and pretend we were storming the castle. And, you know, every weekend we would go visit castles. Like we would watch the movie Ivanhoe and then we'd go to the castle where they actually had uh, King Richard, you know, locked up as a hostage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Schloss Frankenstein and see where, what inspired Frankenstein. So it was a really cool uh, experience. And one of the most vivid memories of my life is, driving along the coast of France and it's all foggy. And then we come around this corner and the fog lifts and there's Mont Saint-Michel, you know, rising out of the ocean. And, oh yeah. Uh, it's a, uh, it's, it's very, uh, I'm sure it had a ton to do with the imagery that I, that I make that, you know, for six years I was running around German forests and castles and, and doing all that stuff. Yeah. I was I, talking with, oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, please go ahead. Well, I was talking with uh, Kyle Webster, um, who does all the digital brushes for Adobe and like he grew up around the world too. And I think there's something, this added software installation that happens to young brains when you're not living in the common, you know, American, you know, upbringing when you have American parents. So you have this sort of connection to the U S but you live in this non suburban lifestyle i feel i feel like an outsider i don't feel like i belong anywhere um i've never really felt american and as a child it was before really the internet or you know any of that so um it it was very removed from american culture and so or even pop culture really like i lived in korea for high school and i love korea i I wish Mm. i could move back um but i was totally removed from from all culture and then when i went to college and you know went to a party and hear this music it was like oh this is great are these people touring anytime soon it's like these are the beatles oh cool the beatles like uh are they uh you know and it's like no, they're from they're like this they're you know, the most culturally relevant band of the last you know 50 years um but i was totally ignorant to so much because i was just in my own little world of uh reading books and drawing and uh you know all that stuff and and very uh distant from mm-hmm. uh, from like just what other people grew up with. And, um, and I, and at the time I hated it, you know, I wished I had, uh, friends that, you know, went to, you know, multiple grades with and, um, family connections and, you know, like a, a hometown. Um, yeah. but now, but I actually, but then when I got older, I really appreciated that lifestyle, but now I'm also trying to give my children the exact opposite. I want them to grow up here and, <laughs> Uh, and have, uh, have friends and have family and a support structure and, you know, feel safe and uh, welcomed by a large, uh, I grew up with a community feeling that, that I never had, which, you know, who knows, maybe that, maybe they, I bet they would really love, you know, traveling the world and, and all the stuff that I did. But um, I guess we always try to, to give our children the, what we think they should have, you know, what we, what we sure. lack. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's a, it's that what we lack element. I know that when we were considering having kids, we kept talking about both of our parents are divorced. So it was this kind of thing like, well, we want to have Christmas at our own home. Like there was this sort of like, we're going to stay planted and everyone, if they want to come, they can come and they're welcome to, because, you know, I know I had to travel to different States, you know, every Christmas just to, fulfill somebody else's you know thing yeah you just do what you got to do and then 
you know, it's really weird. Like we sort of have this sensibility of the life that we, I I guess that, that we think we should have versus the life that we actually have. I think that as I found as I get older, I think this is probably true for most people as they age that you uh, are become way more comfortable with yourself and with your life. And um, you're more sure of who you are as a person and, you've you've made the mistakes of youth you know and like you've learned from uh same thing in art you make the you learn you discover your your style or your way of working or your way of writing by writing a bunch of stuff and making mistakes and then saying like oh i actually like this version of mistakes uh i'll keep doing that um same thing with life you know like we we kind of grow up and uh, have to go through these trials and tribulations and, and come out of it and uh it may not be the the dream you know like of um, but whose life is really, you know, like, I don't think anybody's life is, is truly the, the dream that, that, and so much of modern life is about presenting, uh, a, a shiny dream to other people on the surface mm-hmm. through some things like that. Um, how much of that is manufactured? You know, I think that, uh, definitely for myself, I had to take a step back from social media and, um, and find a, find, uh, find pleasure and, and comfort in my own life. Um, and what I had, and then mm-hmm. uh, taking that break, I was able to go back to social media and, and, uh, use it in a way that, that felt comfortable to me without, um, being the, the dopamine rush of the, the, the mouse getting the pellet every time they push the button. Right. What was it, what was it for you that was the, the emotional conflict aspect? I think it was... It, it, t- it ties into a lot of things in terms of, uh, you know, and this is also an illustration and not necessarily like comic stuff, but I hated that every year you're entering Society of Illustrators or Spectrum or all these different places and you're judging your work yearly. And um, mm-hmm. maybe work takes longer than a year, you know, and if you don't get in, it's, I mean, your work doesn't have any value. Um, or if the best piece you've ever painted that you love that was the greatest learning experience only gets 30 likes, then you're, it makes you feel bad. Yeah. But is that... Yeah. That's uh, so there's something wrong with that. And, but the, the honest truth for me is that social media was just during the pandemic. I went from, and also having kids and getting married, I went from being a freelancer who could do anything, anytime, you know, my work was, you know, quitting time is one so I can watch European soccer. And, um, I mean, that's why I'm a freelancer. I'm really just, a, I, I can catch every Liverpool game. Um, and, uh, but so then the pandemic hit and I went from that to having to take care of two very small children all the time in a very hot environment and, uh, in a very small house. And, uh, and then my mother died and mm. that combination of not of very little sleep, having to take care of two small children. And then my mother passing away, just like overwhelmed me. And, and I, uh, I'll probably get a little emotional here. So cut the wavering, my voice. Um, but it was, it was too much, you know, it was, it was, I couldn't, I was across the country and I couldn't be there for my mother. And, um, it it just was hard, you know, and I I think that the, and I'm still dealing with this, but, and that's part why we moved part, a big part of why we moved, um, that family became more important, but I think, there's so many people that have this story from the last three or four or five years of, yeah. of uh, 
you know, you never know what anybody has gone through or what anybody is currently going through or what they could be struggling with. And then to, to have this thing happen, it, uh, I needed a break from, uh, from the world. And I needed, mm-hmm. to, I only needed to listen to the voices that were like primary importance to me, my wife, my children, my brother, my dad, my, you know, my close circle of friends. Um, yeah. and there's just too much, too, there's too much. Everybody is a great artist. There's so many brilliant artists. There's so many great writers that are writing so many cool books. There's so many people giving films option. There's so many people. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, you just have to, you, you, you gotta take a break from that. Or at least I did. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, become healthy again and then come back to it. Yeah. I, 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 I struggle with the, the social media thing. Facebook being sort of the early, model out there and i really struggled with my sense of self and other people's re air you know air quote reality for a while and i just my solution for that was just stopping period like just got off of that one completely and then i stopped leaving my phone in the bedroom like my phone charges in a different room when i sleep so when i wake up in the morning the first thing i do isn't go and look at my phone Get an alarm clock that's not on your phone. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I get up and, and then I, I meditate, you know, I meditate. First thing I do, get up and meditate just so I don't waste whatever clarity I have in my head. And I can hopefully carry that a little further. And, and, you know, it's interesting because I think isolation was a very common feeling during the pandemic. So social media is this sort of balm to that order where like, Hey, you can keep tabs on everything. Yeah. I, it was, I think I quit social media at the wrong time in terms of social media engagement because tons of people, uh, you know, like, and it it was wonderful that tons of artists uh, were selling a lot of work through social media and there was a lot more engagement so I noticed that a lot of people, uh, you know, like had a lot more followers when I came back to it, which is fantastic. Um, but, uh, I needed to do it. And I, and I did, uh, during the pandemic, I did get reconnected with, I was in a band in my twenties. And so I got reconnected with those guys and we, we, it's still going. We now, although mostly with just one or two other guys, we still get together on Saturdays at four 30 and have a beer while zooming with each other and just kind of talk and catch up about life. Um, oh, right was, on. Yeah, it was awesome. It's, it is nice. I mean, I don't know if that's social media, so to speak. That's just a different communication tool. Yeah. Would you play? Well, kind of a theme of my life is that I can, I can do a lot of things, but none of them very well. Um, so I could play violin. Uh, I would play violin. I would play guitar. I would play drums. Uh, uh, sing. Um, we were kind of like a, a very, uh, communist band, you know, like we would, uh, I'd start off playing drums in a song and then halfway through I'd switch with the guitar player and play, you know, like play guitar while he plays drums and mm-hmm. a bunch of different lead singers and a bunch of different, uh, songwriters. It was a lot of fun to do. Um, I just, I, I hated being uh, 20% of decision-making and I hated, uh, it was the same thing where I, uh, in college I was a filmmaking major, uh, for three years but this was back when you had to raise money to buy film to actually shoot the film uh, right. for your senior project. And, and I was shooting 
films before that. And it became quickly apparent that nobody cares about what you're doing except for you. You know, nobody shows up on time. Nobody holds the the microphone where they're supposed to. Nobody like hits their marks. (laughs) You have this great vision of what you want to have happen, but everybody else is just, you know, like doing their thing. And uh, it's, you know, it was never good. So I switched to write creative writing, which allowed me to, you know, like all I have to do is write the, the screenplay. Um, that's what I like about art is, uh, and especially comics, you know, is that I get to tell stories and I get to, you know, make images. The only thing I don't get is, uh, the music or the, the sound, but, um, I, I love being the, uh, the, you know, the, the auteur, the dictator. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like things where I'm, uh, you know, like a, just a small portion of the, and it, it never goes anywhere, you know, and nobody's ever happy. Um, and that's kind of what the band was for me is that I was never driven to get better the way that I am with, with art, um, with art, I'm very driven to, to, uh, improve and, and learn the things that I, I, cause I have tons of weaknesses. And when it comes to art, um, which is actually something I think about a lot because, um, with illustration and book covers and book covers is where I kind of view my career really starting. I don't really count the, uh, editorial newspapers and magazine era of my life. Um, you're just making one image so you can lean on your strengths really hard mm-hmm. and forget about your weaknesses and comics will expose your weaknesses like that. Like immediately, if you, if you are, you know, I'm, I come from, you know, my influences are Ataglia and Topi and uh, Breccia and people like that. Really interesting mark making, but also really flat. Mm-hmm. And, not much uh, like moment to moment cuts, but one big designy page is three months in life, you know? Um, and so if you're trying to do a fight scene uh, in that sort of very flat design uh, mm-hmm. thing, you're working like way harder than you have to, to figure everything out. Um, and it takes forever. And so that's something that I'm, I'm learning now is that I'm, I, uh, I'm very lucky that I got hooked up with Felix Liu um, and the artist that he represents. And um, Nick Dragata is kind of, I asked him for some advice. He sent me this amazing email that I printed out and I've kind of used as like my study guide for the last two years. And at, at Heroes, I got to walk around with him and uh, have him like show me comics that I should look at to study to, you know, like address oh, wow. them. And it's, uh, yeah, it was, it's so kind of him. Um, and, but, but to me, that's exciting. You know, like there's still so much to learn and uh, so much to, to try to figure out. Um, and I'm driven to do it. Whereas in the band, um, you know, it was just a bunch of my college friends that we got together and drank beer and, you know, made music. And, um, you know, the, the scene that I was in was very successful, but um, I just didn't, just didn't care. You know? Yeah. Well, it, it, the other thing is that there's a, I mean, there's a social component to the, to the music aspect. You know, you're doing this event with other people for other people in a sort of an alive factor. But in comics, there's really no sort of live version of it. And you are doing it by yourself. Even if you have a collaborators, they're not there with you doing it at the same time. So it makes it a little, so either you're going to be able to push yourself to do it and get better or you're not. Yeah. Yeah. No one cares unless you do it. No one cares unless yeah. you should. And this is a lesson I needed to learn uh, in my thirties. Um, you know, I was able to kind of coast through life um, 
and not grow up. You know, I was like a, I was a very bloomer. Um, and it took some pretty serious things to happen in my life to, to hit rock bottom essentially. And, and realize that the only way there's no going down anymore, really. Mm-hmm. And the way to go up is to work hard. And the only person, the only person that cares about this is you, you know, no one's going to do yeah. it for you. No one's going to, you're not going to get uh, hired or get a career because of your potential or your desire to, to, you know, be uh, this great artist or this great writer. Um, it only matters if you do it. And that's the only way that people will be excited about your work. Um, and, but that's actually very freeing in a way um, mm-hmm. that it's up to you, you know, and, and it's uh, the, you know, from the, you know, thousands of comics and, uh, and books on art and things that I have here, it's, there have been millions of people throughout history that have done what you want to do. And so, yeah. it, you know, all it takes is, uh, you know, it helps if you can find mentors, like I found Nick Dragata for, for comics uh, for that. And, um, and other people and people that I've had in my illustration career, um, it helps if you can have mentors cause it cuts out some parts, but it really just comes down to you. Um, yeah, I had the, I, I had, I had that sort of that thirties sort of come to awaken moment in life. And it, you know, it was one of those like, okay, I have to do this. And you're, you're fortunate and blessed if you have enough talent to open a door but you really need, it's all about you staying inside. Like if you, if someone opens it, it's not, that's not it. And I thought that's what the deal was when I was in my twenties. I'm like, Oh, well, the door is open. Now I can do what I want, but that's not how it goes. It really is a matter of you have to prove yourself every single time. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It, yeah. And that to me, that's exciting. You know, I, I, like I said, I'm 44 and I, I have to work out so that I can keep up with my children so they don't, you know, uh, destroy me in our Pokemon battles every night. And I have to stay in shape because I hope that my career, I feel like my career has not really started yet. Even though right. if you look at my bio, it seems like it's impressive, but I feel like the work, I always wanted to do comics. I've always wanted to, mm. I was going to go to the Joe Kubert school. Uh, my dad, you know, military dad didn't want to pay for art school. So, <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I was going to go to art school and I was going to go to the Joe Kubert school, which would have been a horrible mistake because I was getting a loan from a bank, you know, that would have been such a bad mistake. I would have been so, uh, I would have been miserable and I couldn't have paid them back. Um, yeah. But uh, I was going to go and then my band signed a record deal. And so I was like, uh, like this won't happen again. I should do this for a while, which it was a, a, I think saved me from probably going down a path of, of like really enjoying going to that school and then being like, Oh my gosh, I've got a hundred thousand dollars in bank loans, not student loans, bank loans. Right. Um, but I hope that my career, I hope that I'm, tr- I hope I'm trying to stay healthy so that I can have 40 years more. And that's like, I'd be 84. That's pushing it. But yeah, but I, I want to, I want to, I feel, I hope that my best work is ahead of me and I hope I continue to, to find ways to, to, um, to push myself and get better and, and try different things. Well, I, I think that's the, I, you know, and this is an interesting exercise and, you know, mental exercise is that you think of all these artists that you like, and then you can kind of, you can see a point where they, they stop wowing you. And it's not a question of, and I, I wondered why it stopped wowing me. And, and it wasn't because I figured out their secret. It was more in the sense that, oh, they stopped pushing. 
like that, whatever was making them so great, they never really continued on that. They sort of, when I use the term simplified, it's like they simplified whatever they were doing to get the sort of that result. And it wasn't a simplification like Alex Toth simplifies something to get more to an essence. It was the simplification for alacrity, not for, you know, clarity. Yeah. Yeah. And it, but then there are the artists who continue to wow and they do these things that they can, you know, your mind just goes, wow. And, And like Jules Pfeiffer or, you know, these, these illustrators who continue to, impressed like Marshall Arisman never kind of coasted. Right. And so you got time. You yeah. got time. I was reading uh uh Luther Strode, the Tradmore uh complete thing. And it's it's uh it was apparent from like the beginning, the first six issue, I forget what they're called they're all called because I read the mm-hmm. complete edition, but the first six issue miniseries, it's obvious that he's like very talented and very, very good. Yeah. Uh and then the second uh, thing it's like wow he is still like he's getting better he's like getting better and he's just he can do everything well and then the third part was just like oh my god like i didn't think that i could like but i you know i turned the first couple of pages of the 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 legacy of luther's i think it's called and the change in his art was like just uh i don't even know how to describe it but it was just such a a leap and a creative mm-hmm very brave one um and it's amazing to me that that he that he has such a unique and and he's continued to evolve it but it was a, it was such a huge and brave leap to make that decision to go that way where yeah. so many so many other people would have uh regressed towards house style perhaps um yeah. and it was i don't know it was it, something i was reading this last week where i was just i was blown away by by the the leap that you made there it was really really cool and very inspiring yeah and i don't think any of that stuff happens without a lot of sweat equity i think there's just you know i i've been writing every day at the bottom of my journal page every day in the morning i write uh read more think more write more like every single day. So I just keep reminding myself like these sort of foundational elements, my mind, just keep that in mind about everything. And if I was, if I was drawing, it would be, you know, read more, think more, draw more. If that was the case. Yeah. It's, uh, it's important to know what your, what your, like the most important things are. And I I think my military uh, upbringing, while I hated it, you know, my we would uh, go to Disney World, and my dad would hand out laminated time schedules for everybody. It's like, are you kidding me? It's like, weird. Wake, wake up at five, okay? Breakfast five fifteen. You know, get on the bus, and it's like, I'm six, Dad. Like, do I really need a laminated like schedule for the entire week? And you know, mm-hmm. uh, wake us up at one in the morning to watch Tennessee football in South Korea, it's things like that. <laughs> but uh, but it worked out really well now because I'm. Uh, and I think also illustration for deadlines. I'm, I can hit any deadline. I can, except for the one with Flusk. I'm sorry, John. Um, but I can, I'm very, uh, organized when it comes to that. And I have, I'm trying to, you know, I have a, uh, whiteboard over here that has like, you know, at the top, it has the things that are my priorities. And then below that are like the things below those priorities. And, you know, uh, and goes down from that. I have the next 12 months of my life over on a cork board over there, you know, like, 
um, it's important to know what you want in your life and also what you don't want. I think, you know, yeah. like stop watching NFL games. You don't like football. Why do you watch it? You know, like things like that. Um, same, same. Yeah. Well, yeah. Your friends show up and want to drink a beer and it's like, yeah, sure. I'll yeah. wait four hours of my life watching commercials and occasionally there'll be a little bit of sport in between it. Um, but it's, I, I think that you do something that I would tell myself is that every day you get the chance to be who you want to be, but you have to make that, you kind of have to make that decision every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's actually helpful for me to make it at night before I go to bed as I write it down. And then I see it yeah. when I wake up in the morning and that tells me, you know, today is about this project, but also making sure that I do this thing for myself, you know, which uh, is, you know, like copy one page of Akira, you know, see what, mm-hmm. Uh, learn, learn from that, um, or copy. Uh, I'll pull one out. And Eduardo Rizzo is super inspiring. Oh, yeah, because um, I feel like he's a bridge from uh, Breccia and Battaglia and all the all the sort of uh, the other South American that uh, comic artists that came to to Europe. Um, he's a bridge from that sort of flat and like topi, the Italian and South American guys. He's a bridge from that to American comics and mm-hmm. things where he doesn't do the, the very rigid perspective grids. A lot of times he has foreground, midground, background, and they're sort of tilted at different planes to each other. Um, and so when I, you know, I'll take a panel mm-hmm. like this and look at it and, and this, line is totally out of perspective with the rest right. of the, the composition. And it's like, well, why is it? But if you simplify it, you kind of see storytelling wise, cinematically, it's pointing where he wants, he's leading the eye where he yep. wants you to go. And he's so good at designing. Um, he's so good at design. The, the perspective uh, manipulations don't jump out at you. Mm-hmm. It's like it feels right because he's designing it to have it do this thing or it leads you through the story. Um, and I love doing that stuff. You know, I, if money wasn't an object, I could spend the rest of my life just, you know, dissecting comic books and, you know, listen, it's, it's not too, Jeff, it's not too late to get the PhD and (laughs) uh, just get the PhD and, uh, you know, in, in comic book visual storytelling and the, in the modern age, I have no desire to ever go to or teach at or visit a school ever again. I am. I'm happy in my little, my little, uh, studio here. Okay. Uh, you know, pitch over. Um, right. so, <laughs> so you couldn't herd the cats, uh, with the film sets. So you switched to creative writing. Yeah. And what was the, what was the thought process about creative writing for you? Like, were you like, okay, I can't control the other people, but I can control characters right. on the page. Right. I can, I, I can, it's all about me and my, my work. Right. Also knowing that, you know, that I want to tell stories and, and with comic, like with everything I've done in my life, it's all leads to wanting to be a better storyteller. Um, not necessarily becoming a better artist or becoming a better writer, but telling better stories. Um, and I, um, I think that it was just, I like being the person in charge of that. Um, and with a, the kind of stories that I love, you know, are budget wise. You can never do with, you know, like a student film, at least yeah. then nowadays you probably could. Um, it's a much different time now with, with uh, digital stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that just, I've always wanted to, 
my I'll grab the book. Let me. My parents, uh, when I lived in Germany, came back from a trip to England with this book. It was illustrated by Tales of King Arthur. Yeah, uh, and it's illustrated by Victor Ambrose, probably my favorite illustrator. And I was obsessed with this, and I it it brought it kind of like influenced my thinking about art is that it always went with stories. It always went with words. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it was like, I want to do both. I want to, uh, this is, uh, there we go. Yeah. The, uh, the perspective here of taking the, the knight at the bottom and flattening him out uh, of he's not in perspective, but the design works. The design feels Mm -hmm. right. Um, and, and so that sort of playfulness of, of design combined with realism, uh, I've always loved that. And I've, I love his work, but this book in particular made me be like, not only do you, I didn't really realize that there was one illustrator and one writer, you know, I was too mm-hmm. young to, to know that it was more that there's word, there's pictures and there's words that go with them and then you do them both. Um, and this, this book was very, uh, it's definitely the reason I wanted to become an artist and to write my own stories. So when you were in school, like when you were in college, I mean, were you like, okay, I'm going to become a, a novelist? What was the, the thought process? Who knows? I have no idea what, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, so it's crazy to me that, um, first college is crazy because of the price for most people. But I think that, uh, to think that an 18 year old should decide what they're going to do with the rest of their life and then go to school for it is nuts. It's, it's, uh, it's insane. Um, and so I don't think I had any idea of what I wanted to do other than, uh, I made friends and I was in a band and I loved creative stuff. And my dad didn't want me to go to art school and the art program that I, at the school I went to was all color fields and paint your feelings. And that's not the stuff that I wanted to do. Um, and so the next best thing was I loved films and, and, uh, so started doing that. And then the whole thing of realizing that this is going to be, uh, for me a nightmare. Um, and so, uh, if I can write a really good script, I can then, you know, after school, maybe find a way to get it made. Um, and then, you know, life just keeps happening. And um, I went back to school when I was thir- 29 or 30, I think, for a year. Um, and it amazed me how easy it was then compared to yeah. being an 18-year-old at school. Where it's, yeah. And it was, it was my priorities had changed, you know. Um, and so... To realize it's like, oh, you just want me to spend an hour tonight drawing this thing? Sure. Like, no problem. Right. Um, whereas <laughs> it'd be like, man, I don't have time for this. Like, I'm, you know, I got so much stuff, I got so much stuff to do. Um, and it's, uh, yeah. So I, I think uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I was still like, right. I, was a, I was a little, I was a little kid until I was 35 and, and had to figure out my life and, uh, I still feel like, you know, I, like I'm 16 most of the time. It's hard to believe I'm, I'm almost 50. So it's, um, yeah. I, I, my, you know, I talk with my wife and she wants to send my, our children to school to, to college. And, and I'm just like, why, like, you know, <laughs> like let them, like, if it, if it makes sense for them, if they want to do something that involves, sure. but maybe they want to go, you know, like travel for a year, or, you know, uh, do the Peace Corps or something, but there has so, to, like, there has to be something because like, I don't know if I needed to go off to, to art, you know, art school. Um, 
I know I benefited from it in many, many ways. I mean, my, I was able to, uh, you know, become friends with people who were all focused on the same thing. I was able to make connections with professionals and I was able to get into the offices of Marvel and DC because I was in that location. But, but you want you wanted, you wanted to be an artist, right? So, oh yeah. So, yeah. Right. So, like you had a vision of where you wanted to go, which yeah. totally makes sense for going to school. But I think, you know, for a lot of kids, you, you know, they have no, I had no idea what I wanted to be other than I liked comics. For sure. I liked um, so it totally, you know, I'm all for it. If, if you have a vision of where you want to go. And also it's important to, you know, uh, be on your own and, and make friends and, you know, become mm-hmm. your own, become your own person. Um, but I feel but like there should be that transition. Like if you don't know, mm-hmm. like there shouldn't be this, like, okay, you're 18 now off to college. And it's like, but I don't know. It's tough. I, I mean, it's tough. I mean, I, I, I know kids who are going off and getting degrees and they're getting the same degree as their older sibling just because that seems like a safe thing to do versus what is it that they want to do? Yeah. That's, that's rough. It's hard. Yeah. Well, maybe they'll solve the whole educational, you know, the secondary schooling uh, level of education yeah. by the time your kids are older. Right. At the same time, they figure out healthcare, right? They'll yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Healthcare, secondary totally. education, you know, gun yeah. control. We'll get a, a All of it. It'll be, Everything spot. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I know that you feel that you're, you're, you said that your, your career is just getting underway, you know, despite the CV and despite the evidence of the work that you've produced, but how did you leave a band and then say, I'm going to become an illustrator? Did you just say this or what was the, what were uh, the dance moves? My, uh, my girlfriend at the time is now my wife was going to go to, um, school in Virginia. And I decided that I would go. And, uh, I saw that George Pratt was teaching at, uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond. Oh, cool. Cool. Like maybe an hour, an hour's drive from, from where my wife was or my girlfriend at the time. Um, and so I applied and got in. I was like, all right, sweet. I love George Pratt's work. I'm going to become a comic book illustrator and, you know, this is going to be amazing. And then I drove down there for the first day of class. I was like, all right, I'm here to, to see George Pratt. And I'm like, oh, he just left for Ringling last semester. And he's, you know, he started teaching at Ringling in Florida now. Like, oh. Oh. Um, so then I had a bunch of really, really boring, bad classes uh, at VCU, but I met some, but I met a couple of professors that I still am friends with that were great that sadly weren't teaching me for the most part. Um, but I kept seeing all these kids around, uh, like at the, 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 uh, figure drawing and stuff like that, that had these amazing sketchbooks, just so cool and, uh, weird paintings and great drawings. And, um, so I would ask them, you know, like, uh, where's that at? And they all had gone to this program called the illustration Academy, which had started with, uh, Mark English, Bernie Fuchs, Alan Cobra, all these, you know, sort of the last, uh, hurrah of the golden age of illustration, the guys mm-hmm. that mansions outside of New York city and, you know, uh, had drivers pick up the art to take into the city, that sort of thing. This really, uh, just l- superstars of illustration this program they had all gone to that for the summer and at that time it was i want to say it was eight weeks during the summer you would go and spend eight weeks with these people doing you know all this work um so i went and i uh one of the 
teachers of that who had been a student was named Sterling Hunley. He's an illustrator. Um, and I just got in touch with him and found out that he had office hours. And like uh, most 18 year olds, nobody took him up on his office hours. You know, like he was mm-hmm. hired to be in his office for four hours every week and no one ever showed up. And I showed up every office hour for about six months. I would just wow. show, up. I would always have something to show him. And I would say like, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, like I want to be a good artist. I know I'm not that good. What, like, here's an artist I like, what are they doing? What is really good about this? Um, and he, uh, would sit down with me and show me and we would just, uh, talk. And then I went to the illustration Academy and, um, it was very humbling. I was probably the worst student there. Um, I've told, I've told this story a lot of times, but I put up my first piece for critique and, uh, John English, Mark English's son looked at it and then he turned around. I was like, it's like, you've never painted before. And I, wow. I was like, well, I haven't <laughs> like, this is, that is my first painting ever. Um, and I, I remember that moment of, of, uh, you know, you always want like the initial, what we all want is to be told how special we are and how great we mm-hmm. are without any work. And I remember at that moment, I could be like, I could, you know, tuck my tail between my legs and walk out of here and, and, you know, go back to working at Best Buy and, and that's it. You know, or I can say, no, this is the moment where I make a choice where I'm, I stink. I'm not that good. I'm going to get better and I'm going to work really, really hard at it. And so I did. Um, and I was like, I'm going to get invited back as a teacher here and they're going to put me on the poster of this thing. And, you know, like I'm going to show them and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's good to have, it's good to have arc enemies and you know, it's good to have nemesis. Yeah. Uh, and I did, I was invited back to teach there and I had my art on the poster. Um, and I wasn't so angry at that point, but um, it's good to have some fire in you, something to drive you. And um, and so then I ended up dropping out of art school and I apprenticed with Sterling and I did that for, for a couple of years. And that sort of sort of naturally transitioned out of apprenticeship to sort of uh, partnership. Um, and then uh, I just kept, I kept delaying uh, trying to get work. Uh, I thought I wasn't good enough. I thought I was too derivative of other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could have made a living earlier, I think. Um, but I just kept waiting, waiting, waiting. And then it was like, all right, it's like, it's now or never. Um, sent out a portfolio and within two months was working as a full-time illustrator, um, which I thought at the time was great. Uh, it's like, oh God, I'm making a living from art. Um, and then it's like, but I'm making a living at really dumb assignments at art. Right. Like. This is a, about a, ham, a cannon that shoots hamburgers over highways. And we want to think like, <laughs> hamburger being shot out of the <laughs> And I remember, you know, like painting the hamburger being shot out of the cannon and, and saying like, oh, is this, was this the dream? Like, is this, right. is this what I wanted to be, is this what I want to be known for? To the legacy I'd like to leave behind or how I'd like to spend my day? Uh, and um, like so many things, um, it takes pain or... Uh, suffering for us to, to like have change. And so, yeah. uh, you can be in the, you can be in this thing and you want it to change, but you resist it. And then, uh, my mother was diagnosed with cancer and I, as a, as a cancer that runs, uh, genetically. So it was recommended that I get tested for it. And, um, the first tests were positive. And so it went from, you know, like, oh, you've got the rest of your life out in front of you to you could die in, you know, five years. Yeah. Um, and so I had a a month of doing all these uh, medical tests and I was like, all right, if I'm, 
if I don't have that much longer, what would, what would I want to do? And I've always loved, um, science fiction, fantasy books. So I was like, okay, I'll just make a portfolio of, of science fiction, fantasy pieces. And at the end of the month, I, it was a false positive. I don't have, I didn't have cancer. I have to get tested every, uh, three to five years to see if, if it's, uh, manifesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I had a clean bill of health at the time and I had a portfolio of stuff that I would like to make. And so I started sending it out and started getting work. Um, and, uh, and that was great. And I, uh, uh, I had to get most of my work at the beginning from the UK because they're more open to non airbrushy, realistic sure. stuff. Um, and it, it kind of took the, my work, uh, being accepted and, and, uh, uh, talked about in the UK for American audiences other than Irene Gallo at tour to, to say, okay, we'll, we'll hire him. But then as, as things go in life again, um, it was like, that's actually not what you really want. You know, like, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, doing covers for other people. Uh, I'm in a cover band. I'm singing someone else's song. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, covers are great, you know, like, sure cover band or even a good cover uh george harrison doing nina simone one of my Mm -hmm. favorites ever but you're still singing someone else's song and for myself that wants to tell my own stories um it's like oh this is amazing but it's also not what you want to do um and so then that led to me uh starting to do books with uh, flesk and and then it was like and even this is like a lot of fun but i really want to do comics and Mm sort of been sneaking up on them with the books I do through Flesk, but uh, I, uh, it's like, here's a silent comic. So I don't have to put any words in it and learn how to learn. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's, you know, like, uh, and uh, almost like, yeah, sneaking up on, uh, on comics and, and leaning on my strengths and avoiding my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, now I'm at the point where, uh, again, coming out of, uh, uh, heartbreak and pain and, and suffering making me realize like open yourself up and there's no uh, there's no reason to hide that you don't know some things yet and that sure. you, st- you still are learning and you're still uh, uh, trying to get better and there's no ego and uh, there's no uh, sort of like you know playing it cool around other people um, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, you know, just be yourself. So wait, well, uh, that's why you're wearing the sunglasses when I met you, right? Just have <laughs> I don't think I sunglasses. A, I don't think I own a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, I, you know, as I, I maybe this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. As I get older, I, I lose uh, any sort of like pretense of being cool or or like having to to kind of keep up that that uh like an image or anything like that and it's mm-hmm. totally okay to to say like you know these uh i'm le- i'm still learning how to draw cars you know like stuff like <laughs> like it's still still a struggle um yeah it's so i i think that my life has been a has always been a progression towards telling my own stories through comics mm-hmm. uh, telling stories um and and life has just made me take various you know like d-turns and and various uh, you know, road trips and, and distractions, um, which have all actually like been probably very, uh, 
very helpful because of my, I think my work, if I had gone to the Qbert school at 22, I think was when I would have gone, my work would probably be a lot different than it is now. Yeah. Um, if I had gone there and been and done the schooling as it was then versus going where I went and being more inspired by Topi and Bataglia and uh, the Breccias and, and then actually eventually learning from George Pratt um, to where my work became more uh, art history inspired, which, mm-hmm. inc- which includes comics for me um, instead of just comics inspired. Um, and, and so I think that all the, you know, all the meandering has, has led me here. And now it's, again, it's up to me to, to pull it all together and, and, and make, make things that, uh, that hopefully other people will like. Well, you know, and I I say it often about, there's no way you can plan a creative career. Like it doesn't, there is no sort of, because even like, you, you know, I said, yeah, I wanted to draw comic books and I went to college to study, to draw comic books. And I, graduated and I started drawing comic books. I'm not drawing comic books anymore. It's been over 20 years since I've drawn a comic book. And that's because your interests evolve and they change. And uh, reality is also crash upon your dream in the terms of like, maybe this is not the best thing for you to do, or maybe you're not the best person at doing this thing. And so you have to kind of go, okay, what is it that I can do? Or what, what are my strengths and how can I apply them to something else? I, uh, I found that often when I'm unhappy, it's because I have a rigid definition of something, of who I am supposed to be or what the work I'm doing is supposed to look like. And it's actually my own definition of what it should be that makes me unhappy. And if I kind of like say like, okay, what is it that you're actually trying to do here? Um, and remove, or what is the definition that's holding you back? I can become a lot happier where I'm, you know, uh, remove this sort of rigid sense of who should I be? You know, it's, uh, you know, like I need to be a, you know, like a, uh, like Jerome Opeña, like, Oh, you got to draw like him because he's like so, so amazing. And I was like, no, you need to be yourself. You can learn from him. You know, you, you, you'll just be a, you know, you'll be a copy of a copy if you, if you do that. And and that definition of what good art is, is holding you back from making good art that would look like you. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, you know, our definition of ourselves is always, I think, uh, evolving and changing when we, when we work in creative careers. You went to Clarion, didn't you? For the, for writing? Is that true? No, no, no. I, I, I've participated with Clarion for, fundraisers. So I do a lot of work for them. through fundraisers. Well, I would love at some point, you know, meet at a comic shop and talk about writing with you because yeah. you know, I, would, oh. I would love, I would love to pick we, your brain about that. I mean, what, are, what are we, uh, a, a mere half hour apart? Yeah. So not too far. Yeah. I need, uh, I need to know what the good uh, comic stores are in Nashville sometime. Yeah. I'm more than happy to, uh, to, to introduce you to the shop owners. There's a, there's a few great shops here. And it's funny, like the whole writing thing for me, I guess it's similar to you, you know, in that, like I was thinking when you were talking earlier about like that sort of controlling aspect. And I, and I definitely have that in, internally. And I was thinking like, oh, I wonder what he put his younger brother through. Like, do this, do that, you know, like try to, try to control, try to control the narrative. It was, it was, uh, it was actually my brother, my younger brother uh, looks like a linebacker. Um, oh, 
that answers that. We don't look uh, alike at all. And so to me, it was like all inside in my brain, I'm controlling you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I was very quiet and internal um, because he would, you know, he could, you know, mop the floor with me. Um, So it it was, uh, I think, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like all the, the nerdy Silicon Valley kids that are in power now and coming out and, and, you know, getting revenge for, for, Mm -hmm. for, for how they felt that they were, you know, um, mistreated. Right. Um, you know, like that we, we can have power over our creations, over our stories, over our, you know, this is a place that, um, that we can do things. And, you know, like I think about how I, when I write stories, um, Daniel Warren Johnson is really good at this, uh, of writing really emotional stories about things that you can tell are important to him and can, resonate emotionally so you know for my what i like about uh writing something is that i can take my my anger and my rage and my frustration and uh my despair over my mother having cancer and i can write a story where i can personify that illness into something that i can beat the hell out of and i can murder that um because i'm there's no way for me to i cannot do anything about the situation that i'm in uh, in real life, but I can take this, what has happened, what has happened and personify it in a, in a conflict. Um, and I, and I, I love when I read a story where, and I think Daniel does that really well of, um, you can tell that there's, uh, there's his life in there somewhere, even though it's about cool spaceships and explosions and aliens and all the like fun stuff, you know, that you want to draw. So there's an emotional core and, well, that's, uh, that's the core of speculative fiction. You know, you're taking, you're taking a, you're taking this subtext and interlacing it with some sort of veneer of thing that either we're familiar with or we're unfamiliar with, but we're going to, I'm going to tell you a story that means something. And sure, there might be space pirates blasting stuff or blowing things up, or this might be a world that we're familiar with, but everybody is left-handed, you know, who knows? I, I, um, this will sound like I'm name dropping, so I'm sorry, but I, uh, was at a convention and I, uh, through a very uh, strange and unreproducible series of events, I ended up having a bromance with David Mitchell and, uh, where David Mitchell, the, the writer of Cloud oh. Alice, um, where we went out, we, we went to a bar and we hung out and he let me flip through his notebook and talk to him about, you know, what he was writing, mm-hmm. uh, and then we got breakfast the next day and then we got together for lunch and then we went in for a long walk through the, through uh, San Antonio to a museum and walked around a museum together and talked. And, uh, you know, I was just starstruck. He was such a, so nice and uh, made me feel so welcome around him and not like, uh, you know, uh, like I was like a, an ant following Superman around, but, um, but I was, you know, we were talking about different various things and, and I was, uh, I just had, I think my son was maybe a year old and I used to have this studio that was a attachment off of our house, big barn opening. Um, so, you know, there was no, it was perfect when it was just my wife and I, but when you have a little kid and all of a sudden he's running in and out and sure. you know, jumping down and, uh, and there's all, I, it wasn't really child proof. So there were lots of things he could hurt himself on. And I was talking to David and saying, you know, like, I just, I just wish I had a door that I could shut. And he said, mm-hmm. But he's the thing you're going to write stories about. You need to have the door open and let him come in because that's why you're writing stories. 
was like, oh, David Mitchell, you jerk. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's true that these are the, the things that, that will raise raise a story above just giant monsters beat up superheroes and superheroes mm-hmm. when is if it has an emotional core, if it has something that, that we respond to it emotionally and, and often those relations, it's about relationships and, uh, you know, family or loved ones or, or whatever. And, and it's true that, um, that I've, I've found that things that I, the stories that I want to tell now, they, they do revolve around the things that, you know, my, my, uh, from my family, my children to, there's one book that I don't know if I have a copy of it out, but one time my wife was, uh, singing a lullaby to our son and she, you know, uh, hush little baby, don't you cry. And she got, you know, like, uh, had to start making up words cause she ran out of the regular words. And so mama's going to build you a castle in the sky. And when that castle falls to the ground, mama's going to cast you an iron crown. And when that crown, and just, she just kept going and, you know, she's sure. ob- obviously, uh, you know, like she's, uh, we get along well because she's seen like a George R. R. Martin novel to our child. Um, and I was just like, Oh my God, like I'm writing it down, you know, <laughs> like, this is great. And I, so I uh, made a children's book about, uh, you know, sort of this, uh, this hero's quest that's sort of this cyclical uh, thing of like a, a child's adventure um, and had it published. And it's just purely because I was paying attention to what my wife was mumbling to our, you know, our napping, napping child. And, and you know, David's correct. I mean, it is, it is really about taking the time to be present to everything around us because that's where the, that's where the stories come from. It's not this, they don't come full, you know, fully formed and they don't, um, and they don't typically come with like with a flashing light. Like you have to kind of go, if they put these pieces together that are in your life that you, you, know, you write down incessantly in notebooks and you have to be present. I, I have a perfect example of this. Uh, David and I were walking to the museum along the, the canal walk of San Antonio. And I was just lost in my head. It's like, Oh, this is, this is amazing. Like I'm with this writer that I love and like, you know, we're getting along and, and talking about things. And I was just lost in my own thoughts. And I, and I realized that he had stopped. So I turned around and he had taken out his phone and was taking a picture. And there was this sort of, I don't know, 20 story building sort of in the distance, this perfect, uh, sort of office building, but there was one window that was broken out and he was taking a picture of the one window that was broken. And it was just like, he was always looking for the something, you know, he was just aware of what was around him and sort of, uh, you know, like the, the odd little moment, um, yeah. that at some point make it into a book of his, I'm sure. Well, that's our, so, so that what's interesting is what he, it sounds to me he's doing is he is adapting our, evolutionary trait of pattern recognition to capture moments that are not the pattern, but when the pattern is broken. So when you see that the pattern's broken, that means something's happened. Mm-hmm. So that's why we always go like leaves are green, leaves are green, leaves are green, red leaf. Why is that red leaf red? You know, like sure. we, you know, and that's the kind of, you know, like I, I, we went for a, we were, we had like the most disastrous hike last summer. We went up this, uh, we were hiking up this area on the, on the Blue Ridge and 
my, my wife is like, Oh, I want, I've always wanted to go to this place. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's go. And it, it was a downpour f- like of rain that we had flash flooding like multiple times in this, in this where there were 36 or 38 stream crossings we had to do with flash flooding. But at this one point, it started raining. So I'm like, Hey, here's a tree. Let's go to this tree and just stay out of the rain. I walk up and my legs stopped moving forward. And I couldn't figure out why am I not walking towards the safety of this tree? And like the roots were sticking out into the, into the sort of the sandy soil and rocks, but there was this one black stick there. And my, you know, I'm like, and my body's going, do not walk any further. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I, keep and I'm looking, 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 I'm tired. So my mind isn't really sharp. And I look and I realize, oh, that's not a black stick. It's a snake. Yep. So, you know, long story short, I didn't go near that snake. But an hour and a half, two hours later on the way down, we head out, head down and we kind of got little messed up on this little trail crossing thing. So I'm like, hey, I'm just going to follow the stream down a little further and catch up with the trail. And I ran into the same damn snake on the other side of the river, <laughs> you know, in a completely different location. So it was not my day. Yeah. It's a uh, part of my, some of my favorite moments for coming up with story ideas is, you know, like when you, like I go, I go for a walk every day um, in the woods and, and like, you'll be walking along and like, you'll out of the corner of your eye, you'll think you'll see a face, you know, mm-hmm. or you'll, see like um you know something in the the woods that's not actually there you know um i love those moments where like it's uh it's it's a tree or it's a rock or something but for a moment i saw somebody sitting there Um, right i love those moments for for sort of like that's that's i feel like that's when i'm connected to whatever it is that that uh makes me want to tell stories is is those those moments so what was it like what was the first i guess for you bit of permission that you gave yourself to write a story like for real not just on your own at home as a young person i think uh the first stories that were really me trying to to be a a writer or to write something um after college i i found a book by gene wolf and i read it and i just thought wow like this is like this is a there's a place for me in uh speculative fiction with this mm-hmm. like this is speaking to me in a way that that other things i've read has have not um and i think that gene wolf has kind of been a like a, a touchstone from from my writing and my my work for a long time um and so i think and then you know of course then what i do if i find same thing with art uh, with comic books, with writers, if I, I'm, I think we're all, we might all be kind of obsessive, especially if you're a cop. Yeah. And I think very obsessive people become comic book fans. Um, you buy everything. And mm-hmm. so I searched out, you know, and read every book, even his first book, which was pretty expensive at that point, but it's always really rewarding to me because it was so bad. Um, and it was just yeah. a miserable, miserable, you know, you couldn't publish this book nowadays, you know, like the, the quality, mm-hmm standard quality now for comics, for, for illustration, for writing is so much higher than it was, you know, like Michael Swanwick uh, talks a lot about how, you know, up until about 
82, 83, you could read every book that came out every year in speculative fiction. Like you could actually, like you could be on top of the, everybody's work. And then it just blew up and it's like, there's no way you can read all these books. Um, but I, I love finding a writer or an artist and finding the very first thing that they put out because I want to have hope that I can, mm-hmm. that I can do it too. Because yeah. when you read something that's like amazing or you, you see someone's work that is like, you know, just mind blowing and it just feels impossible. Um, I love finding those early things where you're like, Oh, you're just looking at Jorge Zafino and you, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, like did that. And, and then you probably read this book on perspective. Um, you know, so I, I think that there's, uh, I love, I love being a completist. I'm just a confederate, uh, same way. Um, and the, uh, but I, I love finding things like that and, and you know, mer- making my way through the progression and, and, and reminding myself that there is hope for, for all of us to, to achieve our dreams, I guess. Um, yeah. It is comforting. It, you know, it is also heartbreaking when you see those rare people, when you see the early stuff, you're like, wow, you really were so much better than everyone else early on. Um, but they're very few and far between, but it, it is, um, you know, it, this is, I, I hear a common thing in your, in our talk is there's this forensic observation that you have, like you are forensically observing all the things of interest to you. So if it is artwork or music or books or the environment, you're, you're really looking at it with a forensic eye. I think that you can, um, I think part of the, part of this is probably natural, but part of it also comes from trying to become a good artist and trying to become a good artist in, in my thirties. You know, I really didn't become a good artist until, uh, you know, like 30, 34, I think was when I first got, I got my first job. Um, I, I never honestly believed in my heart that I would make it and that I would get good. I thought I would stink for the rest of my life. Um, and it's amazing that I, to me that I figured it out. But the way that I figured it out was to break things down into as simple as they could be. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't understand value. And so the only way I could understand value is to only have two black or white. And that's why my work looks the way it does is that for me to understand value and composition, I couldn't deal with the grayscale. It had to be either black or white, Sharpie or white paint. And that was the, uh, and by being so bad at it and having to really break it down into its basic components, now I feel like value is I do it pretty well. And I do composition mm-hmm. because I didn't, I was so bad at it. So for me, when I briefly taught, uh, you know, a student is like, I want to make it more exciting. I want it to be vibrant. And it's like, you, well, how do you do that? You know, like you don't, uh, you know, turn on the vibrant filter. You, you deal with value, shape, edges, lines you know like these are the things that you can study and that's what mm-hmm. will make it better. and that's so for me if, with anything is like if you can take the the trappings of it away and break it down into its simplest components that's how you will get better if, if you you don't try to like multitask you know for me color you know like if you add color it's like i'm i'm juggling enough balls now and you throw a color in there and pff, they're all gonna fall down so right. uh, you know and but because I, I can do color now, I just don't want to. Um, it's, uh, you know, like you pick your, you break it down to as simple as you can, the things that you can actually learn. 
And, you know, like for writing, you know, instead of trying to write a novel, write a good paragraph, you know, write a good sentence, right. you know, instead of uh, bloviating for, you know, a hundred, hundred word sentence, nail it. And, you know, verb, subject, whatever. Um, and that's how, that's, I mean, again, I keep talking about having hope. That's how I have hope that I can, that I can learn this and sure. I can, I can get where I want to go uh, because every day is a battle against despair. And you have yeah. to, you have to find ways of having hope that you will, you will get there. And, and I, you, I have to look back instead of just looking forward and say, I have come way further than I thought I would. And um, so there's hope for my students. When I was a teacher, there's hope for me that that seemingly impossible mountain uh, can be climbed. If you, if yeah. you just focus on what's in front of you. Yeah, that's, it's a beautiful way to look at it. And uh, I'm going to keep those words in my mind for a while. Um, I'm just so, saying it myself, really. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but you're saying it to yourself. But it, but these are the things that everybody, I mean, lo- listen, a lot of people struggle with finding the clarity to help them push forward rather than just sort of kind of like with your eyes closed, waving forward and just doing the thing, you have to do it with some intention and yeah. give, giving yourself, you know, that moment to, you know, to think. And if you can think about it, then you can create some sort of intention and move forward with purpose. And I think that's like, that's all you're saying. I did a, a class, uh, probably my last class visit for a long time. Um, but I had been saying I would do this for a couple of years for the Kansas City Art Institute. And it was a lot of fun. It was through Zoom. And most of the students, the things that they were struggling with and having issues with were not really, they were in a great place to learn art. What they wanted to, what they were struggling with was their emotions and their their feelings and like their sense of self and and just struggling with these, you know, things that when you're that age, you are you're, you know, you are struggling with. And so much of my time, which I thought, I hope I would helped with was uh, telling them that it's okay. That this mm. is that third, that it, you, you have to be kind to yourself. You can't beat yourself up all the time. Um, it can't be, you, you can't, I, although, you know, I certainly remember throwing paintings across the room and deleting files and, you know, like, I I have been there. Everybody has, but you have you have to find a way to be kind to yourself and to to create a space for your for, uh, that's healthy for you. Um, and I you know I hope that the schools are continuing to provide this yeah. sort of thing for them rather than having the one person that shows up once a year. Uh, <laughs> the shining light, right? But it's uh, I think that you. Uh, there's, I did an experiment once, uh, it, which has actually influenced a lot of how I listen to me. I listen to music often when I work, but it never has words. And once I went uh, six months without listening to, it had to be all instrumental because so much music uh, with words that you can understand is about how life stinks. And it's about how, uh, you know, it's uh, like, you're just sitting there all day listening. I'm going to be like, my life is horrible. And my girlfriend yeah. left and blah 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 and doesn't life stink blah 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 yeah, yeah. Just along with it like life stinks yeah yeah blah 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 it's not worth living without you blah, blah. and it's like you're subliminally putting yourself in this thing where you're just miserable um and i felt so much better 
cutting out music with words. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I think that you actually have to um, think about the environment you're creating for yourself. Uh, be able to stop the conversations you have in your head, you know, be like, this is just a conversation. This is not real life. You know, like sometimes, you know, like have a conversation with my wife in my head, like, why didn't you put the dishes in the dish? Blah, 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 blah. And she comes home and I'm all angry. And she's like, what's wrong? And it's like, oh, I just had a conversation with you in my head. This is totally like just me. Right. It has nothing By the to- way, I won. Yeah. It has yeah. nothing to do with you. Um, <laughs> So, so much of uh, of life of, of trying to achieve these sort of goals and is uh, is just emotion management and and uh, and trying to to be kind to yourself. Treat yourself as if you were your best friend instead of yourself. Yeah. And like you said earlier, man, like contextualize what it is for you. You know, you know the the win doesn't have to be everything. All right. Well, let's let's tie it up here because I think that you and I could keep talking for a lot longer, and maybe we'll have to get back together and do a uh, kind of an art talk and just really kind of go into some technique and process there. But um, what's the easiest way for people to find you, even though you are, you know, controlling your social media? <laughs> uh, I'm on Instagram, Jeffrey Allen Love, yeah. um, and I have a Substack that I very rarely put out. Uh, Sweet. Jeff- substack.com i believe uh and a website jeffreyallenlove.com um and yeah then i think that's it and and my publisher uh who does a lot of my books flusk publications um he's uh more active than i am on on that stuff he's got a great he's got a great feed and i love when you do your videos of when you do a drawing I'm typically not a video person, but when I see them, I just, I, I'm fascinated by your, your process. So, um, we'll have to talk about cool. it next time. I'll put all the links in the, in the description. All right. Well, Jeff, thanks so much. I mean, I, I'm really been looking forward to talking with you. This has been a, a super big treat for me. And, uh, yeah, um, go get your kid and, um, I'll talk, I'll talk to everyone soon. All right. Good. Thanks for having me.